We come this morning to the fourth message in this series from Job, the devastation of spiritual fluctuation. We would ask that you remain seated now until the service is over and everybody holds steady, not interfering with anybody's opportunity to hear the word of the Lord. Someone was reading through the names of the books of the Bible who had never had a copy of the Bible, and they said, my, that's an unusual name for a book in the Bible, Job. And it is spelled Job, but it's Job. And we're learning some interesting things about life from Job or Job. Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me. The most interesting passage of Scripture because Job is going back in his mind to the days when things were better. He had been up and now he was down. And I think most of us understand how that is. We've all been involved in that a few times in life. He remembers when he would come to the gate of the city and the men would stand up in respect to him because of his wealth and power and influence and the evident blessing of God upon his life. And all of these verses reflect his past. The devastation of spiritual fluctuation. It was the year 1926. The weirdest auction sale in history was held in Washington, D.C. A special act of Congress declared 150,000 patent models of odd inventions obsolete and put up for public sale. They had been accumulating since the year 1800. Some had passed under the hand of Thomas Jefferson when he served as patent commissioner for the nation. One man at the sale thought of the fertility of man's mind as he looked at all of the items. Some of them were as follows. There was an automatic bed bug duster. Everybody would need one of those. There was an illuminated cat to scare away mice. Well, you wouldn't have to feed it. There was an interesting device to prevent snoring. Wasn't the clothespin, because we still have those to hook on the nose. But this one was a trumpet. The interesting part of the trumpet was it reached from the mouth so that when you would, you know, real heavy, it would blow, but the trumpet came around into the ear. <laughs> Had a unique shape. That's clever. The one that caught my eye was a pulpit. It was an adjustable pulpit for short preachers. And the way it worked, it was operated by a release spring lifting the pulpit up or down, and the preacher would be right in the pulpit. It wasn't loose like this. You were standing in it, and up or down it would go by a spring inside of the pulpit. Well, one preacher in Ohio, while preaching on where will you spend eternity, happened to touch the spring at the wrong moment, and down he went. The fertility of man's mind to come up with inventions. Well, what would these items represent to you? 150,000 old patent models, odd things. 
Do you know what they were in reality? They were 150,000 broken dreams. That's what they were. Some of those inventors died in poverty, still trying to market their invention. Broken dreams. There is no sadder condition than when we look back regretfully to better days and happier hours. Job had seen better days. He measured God's favor by the amount of worldly prosperity and acknowledgement that he possessed. Now most all of that was gone, and he concluded by it all that God had forgotten him, so down into the spiritual valley he went. Our spiritual life, like our physical life, is subject to fluctuation. I have seen it over and over again in pastoral ministry with people, up one day and down the other. Reminds me of when I was a boy and I would sit on the end of the old teeter-totter, up and down, up and down, up and down. What a monotony, the teeter-totter. But that's the way life is with a lot of people, and I have felt impressed of the Spirit of God from the experience of Job who said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me. You see, he felt God was no longer there. And you may be that way this morning, or you may be tomorrow. Who knows? And if that be the case, you need to hear this message with your heart today. I'm going to help you. Now, the first point that you will make on the back of your bulletin where it says notes is this. We need to look at the causes of spiritual fluctuation to understand what happens to us. And I dare say that you have never sat down to look at the causes, the causes of teeter-totter religious experience. And there are three of them that I feel impressed to share with you today. A look at the causes and then three things that I believe are the causes of fluctuation. The first one is physical. The body has its effect upon the spirit. And few of you in the sanctuary today realize it. But I hope you will never forget it after these next few moments. The body has its effect upon the spirit. Paul abruptly asked the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, get this, Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Did you ever notice he said, glorify God in your body before he said, glorify God in your spirit? Your body has its effect upon the spirit. The body, you see, is the channel of all emotion, of all feeling. It is hard to tell how many spiritual fluctuations are due to our bodies. 
But I know there are many fluctuations that occur because of the condition of our bodies. Now let's talk about habits for a few moments. Habits are things that glorify the flesh, plain and simple. If you want a definition of a habit, it's a thing that glorifies the flesh. When we have entered into habit, whatever the habit is, we wake up someday to discover that we are not free to stop, that that thing has fastened itself upon us like the tentacles of an octopus, and we can't get rid of it. It's there, and it drags us down. The writer to the Hebrews had this in mind in chapter 12, verse 1, when he speaks of laying aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Nobody in a race would tie heavy weights on his legs or some other place and attempt to run that race. That would be foolish. And that's exactly what habits are to our spiritual life. Though they have to do with the body, they affect the spirit. And the writer says, lay aside every weight that doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Things that slow us down, put them off. Get rid of them. Our bodies keep saying, more, more, more. Ooh, that was good. More, 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 a lot more. While down inside of you, the Spirit is crying out, oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death, but the Spirit can't get through because your body keeps saying more, 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 and you feed it. More, more, more. And you wonder why you go, shh, shh, in your spiritual experience. Now, can I just stop preaching a moment and meddle? Preachers need to meddle once in a while. People come to me and say, is it wrong to smoke cigarettes? Will people go to heaven who smoke? Will people go to heaven who drink alcoholic beverages? I'm so tired of those questions. I've had those up to here and maybe a little higher. Why can we not, for just a change, approach it this way? How much of God can I get in my life? That I might know Him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering instead of how much can I feed this body of this world and still make it to heaven? Why do we come at it always from the negative side? Because your body keeps saying more, more, more. And if you are just a mortal and you don't believe in immortality, then go ahead and give it more, more, more. But remember, down inside, there's a little voice that says, oh, that I might know him 
There's something that says, oh, that I might know Jesus. But you're so busy puffing and sipping and running that you can't let that inner voice come to the foreground where it controls you and leads you into a high plane of spiritual experience. Now I'll go back to preaching. Stevenson's story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is a great illustration of this. Henry Jekyll could not endure the tug of war between his lower and his higher self. He dreamed of a solution. If only some of the time he could live all together in the lower world as Mr. Hyde, then at other times live all together in his higher realm as Dr. Jekyll. Oh, if that could just be. So he discovered the drug that thus would separate his two selves. He could live in the lower realm as Mr. Hyde, but he could also, through that miracle drug, live in the upper realm as Dr. Jekyll. He could be recognized as a, an intelligent man, a humanitarian, a helper of people, but when he wanted to feed the lower nature, he could divert to Mr. Hyde and be a beast. But in the end, we are always discovered. That's what we need to remember about the story. In the end, we're always discovered. It never goes on ad infinitum. It always comes out what we really are. It just works that way. The old Indian who got converted, I told you, I think, the story, but it's, it just fits so well. He was testifying to his Indian brothers and he said, it's like I have two big dogs inside of me. One's white and one's black and they're always fighting. An Indian friend said, well, which one wins? And he said, whichever one I say sick them to. <laughs> and that's it. Listen to me. I must crucify my flesh with the lust thereof every day. I cannot allow the flesh to run my life. This body is where the Holy Ghost lives, and what goes into it will affect his presence and my relationship with the Lord. Whether I'm up or whether I'm down depends in a great deal what I allow this body to do. Therefore, I crucify the flesh with the lust thereof. The body must always serve the spirit, never in reverse. Some of you who sit in church today have got it all turned around. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, whose you are? The second thing that is the cause, is the mind, this little three-pound thing up here called a brain. Some may weigh a little less. It's not for me to decide. The mind, its powers carry us hither and thither. 
thoughts we entertain, the reading we select, the habits of judgment we cultivate, all have their effect upon our hearts, what goes on up here in the mind. James draws this to our attention in chapter 1, verses 13 and 15, 13 through 15. Let me share his thoughts with you very quickly. James tells us that we are drawn away of our own lust and enticed, and that's through the senses. There's the body again, you see. We're drawn away by our own desires, and we are enticed. Then he gets to the mind. Then when lust hath conceived, when the desire has conceived in the mind, that's where it's conceived, up here, it bringeth forth Sin, the act, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You see, after the body is enticed, the mind goes into operation and conceives it as done. And it looks so pleasant like the fruit on the tree in the Garden of Eden. But when it is conceived, it then becomes sin, and sin then becomes death. You're down at the bottom again because of the conceptive quality of the mind. Now, Romans 7.25 is one of the greatest helps in this area that I've ever found. It's a simple statement by the Apostle Paul, who was one of the greatest minds of his time, Taught at the feet of Gamaliel, he could confound any teacher, any doctor, any king, any theologian. Tremendous mind. Paul said in Romans 7.25, after he had met the Lord on the Damascus Road and had walked with him for about 35 years, he said this, with the mind I serve the law of God. Now you wonder why you go, shh on the roller coaster of spiritual experience because you have not a mind set. With the mind, I serve the law of God. He had a resolute purpose. He said, I will serve God. One of the greatest lacks in the church of Jesus Christ today, resolute purpose. I will. I will please him. I will honor him. My mind says I am going to serve the law of God. Now, this is the age when religious and social morals are being replaced by personal morals. Even the folk songs are contributing to this rebellion. Some of their hopeless lyrics encourage civil disobedience. Others encourage the new immorality. Men have always loved pleasures more than God. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 4, it's nothing new. They are more open about it now, but it's nothing new. Individualism is the religion of the 80s. We're faced with it. Do your own thing. If your relationship with Christ is only skin deep, the pressure images of the world will be more attractive than the optional image of God's dear Son. And I want to run that by you again. 
If your relationship with Christ is only skin deep, the pressure images of the world will be more attractive than the optional image of God's dear Son. You see, holiness is an attitude, not an altitude. Holiness is in the mind. We cannot physically separate from this world. We are in the world, but we are not to be of the world. In our minds, we can be hearing a different drummer. In our minds, we're thinking about a kingdom that's God's. And in the world, with all the pressures of this world, the drugs, the pot, the alcohol, the sex, the lust, the filth, the smut, the pornography with all of the pressure of it in our mind. We are serving the law of God and all of that cannot move us because we have resolutely said we will serve the Lord God. Some of you here must do that or you're going to be lost to the cause of Christ. We are faced day by day with a crisis of choice. Every one of us. God has a hands-off policy where man's moral machinery is concerned. Some people foolishly expect temptations to stop after they are saved. (laughs) I hope you get that out of your mind. Don't you realize that God-allowed temptations are worth more than money? The Bible says that. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, Peter said the trial of your faith is more precious than gold. And boy, gold's going up. So if your temptations are going up, you're getting wealthy. It's more precious than gold. The child of God has a great destiny. Our mindset must be on him and his eternal kingdom. We will then be held fast and not be caught in spiritual fluctuation. Job forgot it momentarily. You remember Lot, who got his eyes on material wealth, by so doing lost fellowship with Abram, his uncle, brought heaps of trouble on himself and his family. It all started when he set his mind toward the city of the plain rather than God. But isn't it great to notice that God will not let us go? He even had an answer for Lot. And he had an answer for Job. He had an answer for the prodigal son. He had to bankrupt the prodigal son in order to bring him home. If you try to feed on swine's food, you won't be satisfied with it. Something down in there will say, go on home. That's God. If you set your mind toward him, there's a way out, a way through your mind. If you set your face toward God. Now the third one, I don't know if you would guess in a week. Circumstances is the third cause After your body, your mind, there are circumstances. You know, circumstances places where we have no control. It was so with Job. He had nothing to do with his plight. 
It's comparatively easy to be spiritually minded as long as all goes well, but what happens when the sky turns black and the lights go out and you're there, wow, with an empty bucket? Our foundation is the Word of God, and our direction is the will of God. And we can never lose sight of that. When the circumstances are hitting us like hail on a winter day, we go to the Word of God and to the will of God, and we're secure in our circumstances, no matter what they are. Now, I want to give you three helpful hints that have touched my life, and I practice continually in this particular area of my message today, how you can avoid the fluctuation of circumstances. The first is examine yourself constantly. In 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul writes about the Lord's Supper, which we will be observing tonight, he said, examine yourself. Now, for many years, I have been coming to the table of the Lord examining myself. When I hold that bread and that cup in my hands, I say, Dear Jesus, is there anything hindering our fellowship? If so, remove it. Jesus, is there anything in my life that I need to change? Help me to change it. I want to partake of these elements not unworthily bringing damnation to myself. I want to examine myself. I want to prove myself as I take these elements today. Cleanse me and make me a whole person. That's why Jesus left us the communion, so that we would do that on a very regular basis. And some of you, when the communion is announced, say, well, not much happening in church, it's just communion. Oh, my dear friend. Wake up, wise up. It's your moment of health. It's your moment of healing. It's your moment to stop the roller coaster. To examine yourself and let the Spirit of Jesus flood your soul. Examine yourself. Second thing is occupy until Jesus comes. God did not make you to sit on your thumbs and watch the world go by. He never put in the hymn book, sitting on the premises, he put standing on the promises. And some of you are sitting on the premises when you have been given gifts of God that ought to be used, and you're going, woo, woo, because you're not occupying until Jesus comes. You're finding every excuse to stay home on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. You've got six other nights. Why take away from God? Occupy till I come. I have dealt with too many people who have stopped moving to pass this by. Use the gift God has given you. If it's the gift of ushering, usher. If it's the gift of singing, sing, for heaven's sake. If it's the gift of driving a bus, drive that bus. We need your help. If it's the gift of teaching, teach. What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Did you get that? 
That was clever. And you just sat there. What on earth are you doing, for heaven's sake? I thought this sermon was coming out pretty good till then. <laughs> Occupy till I come. Get up and do something for God, and the roller coaster will stop. Now, the third thing is not a contradiction of the second. It's wait on the Lord. Isaiah said it, chapter 40, They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. He did not say they that go after every quack and every tape and every revival meeting that's advertised in the paper will renew their strength. He said, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Some of you are spending so much money on tapes, books. Buy the ones we recommend. I mean, this church generation is running after every voice and after every new idea and after every concept thinking, oh, this is going to do it. This is it. This is it. Oh, hallelujah. This is it. It ain't it. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as the wings of an eagle. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be. God has given you the church for a steady diet of preaching and teaching, instruction. Don't let the devil lead you around by the nose. Wait on the Lord. And this roller coaster thing will stop. When you settle in, listen to God. Shakespeare said the world is a stage. The modern poet says it's a rat race. The Christian concept is that it's a sculpture shop. The Lord is making us. It's Jeremiah 18. Go down to the potter's house. Observe the work on the wheel. And he went and looked at the potter, and it was marred in his hand. But the Lord said, I can make it again, another vessel. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. And the Lord said to Jeremiah, cannot I do with you? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. This is a sculpture shop. He's framing us and molding us and making us into his will. And that's what we're learning together in the church of Jesus Christ. All day long, an invisible world system headed up by spirit personalities. Ephesians 6.12 tells you that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. That pressure is coming on your mind, your will, and your body to get you to conform to this world. Meanwhile, the Spirit of God is working His transfiguration from within you, using the model of God's Son, not me, not somebody else. God's Son is the model. And Paul said in Romans 12, too, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. 
Don't let the world form you. Let God's Son form you. He's the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Oh, God help us. Now, number two is a look at the victory. We've looked at the causes, and now we'll caboose it with a look at the victory. You've got to jump over a few chapters to chapter 38 of Job. Because as we move from 29 and on, he's remembering, he's recounting. But in 38, something happens. God spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. And he spoke to him words of eternal consequence. And the victory began when God spoke to him out of the whirlwind. Now, God often asks questions. And here's what he asked. Who laid the foundations of the world? How's that for a start? Well, it sure wasn't me, Lord. Then he comes back with this one. Who controls the stars and who controls the sea? You see, what God, God was doing was laying before his complaining servant his mighty power. Job had lost sight of God's mighty power. He had lost sight of the victory, just like some of you. All you can see is that big problem, that huge tower of difficulty in front of you, and you can't see God's mighty power. Out of the whirlwind, God spoke, and he said, Who laid the foundations of this world? Who put the stars up there? Who controls that ocean out there? Job had nothing to say except, you, God, I know it's you. Then who in the world is controlling the circumstances of your life? Hello, Michelle. God bless you. Welcome home. And Job remembered in that moment whose he was. Job remembered the power of God. And then you move to the last part of Job. And it says the latter end of Job was greater than the former. And he got the right view. And he saw the power of God and the victory of God. He was healed. It's like Solomon when trying all the things the world could offer. He drew a line one day on the bottom of the sheet. He added it all up and he came up with zero. And he said all is vanity and vexation of spirit. It's all zero. It is at that moment of realization that God comes to us. Did you know that? Now, I end with a great truth. I hope you can get it. The alcoholic prodigal can't find his paradise in a bottle because he's trying to satisfy a fragment of his nature at the expense of another part of him that hungers just as fiercely for self-respect, social approval, the love of his friends. And he's never satisfied, and he keeps going back time and time again to find that last drink that will satisfy the gnawing when inside the gnawing gets bigger for self-respect and acceptance by his family and friends to be a part of society. And he can't understand it. A little boy playing on the lawn saw a butterfly flip from bush to bush, and it was such a beautiful thing. 
he saw, he thought, oh, I, I've got to have it. He wanted it so badly. He moved himself into position, and just at the right time, he clasped his hands together, only to open them, and there was an ugly smear and a crushed skeleton of wings on the palms of his hands. And that's exactly what Job teaches us. There was a famous king in history who appointed a man to live in his royal presence and say every day to him, Philip, remember that thou art mortal, lest he forget his kinship with the earth. And every day he was told, Philip, remember, thou art mortal. But doesn't every person need another whisper in his ear daily? Remember thou art immortal, lest you forget your kingship with eternity, lest you forget your relationship with that which lasts and lasts and lasts. Remember, thou art immortal. The pigs with the prodigal in Luke 15 were very happy. They were not discontent. They were animal. But the prodigal was in desperate torment. Why? Because we weren't made for the pig pig. In that condition, he heard the whisper of his heredity. Go home. Go home. Go home. You see, God has set eternity in man's heart. And you're never satisfied, never satisfied until you put eternity into your heart. You will try to satisfy your body, your mind. It will never be you come to rest with God. You think your sadness means that God is far away as you sit in church this morning. That's what Job thought. He thought, I'm miserable. God has forgotten me. I wish I could go back to my youth when God knew where I was. You think your fluctuation means that you are on the road all alone. Your loneliness, your discontent, your restlessness your fed-upness means that you are not alone on the road. There is a love that will not let you go. That's what it means. If God were giving up on you, he'd just let you rest. But there is that hound of heaven who tracks you. The loneliness and the fed-upness of your spirit today means there is a love that will not let you go. The victory is the Lord's. God got through to Job, even through his shattered dreams. He found a greater self, a wider horizon, a more magnificent future. Out of the whirlwind, God said, Who laid? the foundation of the world. Who takes care of those stars and who watches over the seas? It's the same God that's stirring your heart in this service this morning who is saying to you, go home, go home, go home. What will you do with it? Let's bow in prayer. Lord.
glory to God. Heavenly Father, your Holy Spirit broods over this place, bringing us eternal truth. Let everybody respond the way you want them to respond. Let everybody climb higher today and find the touch of heaven in their life. While our heads are bowed in prayer, how many of you have come to church today needing the forgiveness of your sins? You need a spot in God's eternal kingdom. And you believe this is God's moment for you. I believe it is too. I want to pray for you because the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a man in right standing with God avails much. I want the joy of praying for you. I want to lead you to my Jesus who loves you and all of us equally the same. Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm here today with a big need in my life.